the main thing is just being totally transparent. I mean, we, we started doing weekly calls with all the employees, like showing them exactly where we were at as far as revenue and expenses and cash. So we showed them our plan as to all these things, you know, as, as I mentioned, we were taking away raises and promotions and profit sharing, but then we showed them the plan of how we would bring those back into play as revenue increased. So it's like they knew the plan, they knew where we were at. So there was never anything where they could assume or not know what was going on. Hey, this is Danny, and welcome to the Spend Culture Stories podcast. You know, we're not just another boring finance or procurement podcast. We explore the sometimes challenging stories and learnings when people, spend, and organizations meet, and how to drive sustainable growth while still balancing control and agility. We have vulnerable, honest, and raw conversations with only the most forward-thinking CFOs, finance executives, and procurement leaders who are challenging the status quo, that the way we've done it is just not enough. This is Spend Culture Stories. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Spend Culture Stories. This is Danny, and I have two special guests for you today. So the first guest is our very esteemed and lovely guest, Jenny Bloom, the CFO at Zapier. And um, she's a seasoned CFO and finance leader in the tech industry. So she's worked at Zapier, but also at MailChimp as its CFO. So we're super excited to have Jenny with us today. And the second guest we have actually is our very own marketing intern, Lauren Benson. So she's actually pursuing a degree in uh, journalism and she wants to you know, become a great interviewer. So she's actually going to be joining us as a co-host on this podcast. So thank you to you both for joining us today. Thanks for being here. <laughs> oh, thank you for having me. So Jenny, maybe we can um, get a little bit of an introduction to you uh, just from yourself, just giving the audience a little bit more about your background. Sure. I've been with Zapier about four and a half years now as their CFO. And prior to that, I was the CFO at MailChimp for about 13 years, actually, from the very beginning until 2000, the very beginning of 2006. And previous to that, I uh, had my own accounting firm for about eight years and then before that, I was in the tech industry early on in the first Internet 1.0. I worked with about five different tech companies as they uh, mm-hmm. got acquired or shut down after the tech bubble. So, yeah, I've got, I guess, ooh, over 30 some years experience in the accounting field. Wow. That's really amazing because, like, you know, you started off super, super early in the tech industry. And, you know, no one can ever imagine how big of a boom that it has now, like especially with a lot of the Bay Area companies. So that's super fascinating with your background, how you started off with your own firm and then branching into some of the really amazing tech companies you've worked with. Just curious also, what got you started in your career in finance and accounting? Like what made you pursue this career path? Honestly, probably wasn't exactly where I intended to go. I'm a big animal lover, so I actually wanted to be a vet and uh, I didn't do so good in school. But uh, I was good with numbers. And so I, and I always did like business. My dad was an entrepreneur. So I did like the entrepreneurial Mm -hmm. side. So I went to the business school then at my college. And basically the only people getting degrees or getting jobs at the time were accounting majors. So I decided I'm good at numbers. So why not get an accounting degree? And that's kind of, uh, that's kind of where it all started. Love it. Was there anything that you wished you learned before you became like a CFO? It's so much 
management and people that you really, there's so much there that it's like, it's the numbers are one piece, but so much of the job is more about finding and hiring the right people and really making them perform the best they can be. Yeah, definitely. I feel like that's something that some people don't really understand about the finance leader role where it's very people-based. You know, a lot of people think that it's about controls or numbers, but I think you work with more people than some other department heads. Yeah, probably so. (laughs) For sure. So I guess we can move on to the next question about Zapier. Lauren, if you want to take it off there. Sure, yeah. Um, So I was just wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about your experience working at Zapier during the COVID-19 pandemic and how the company adapted. Yeah, I mean... It was a really difficult period. We didn't really see it coming and you've never been through anything like this. So it was really difficult not knowing what to do and how to plan or what was really in front of us. We initially had a significant drop in revenue. So we paused hiring. We stopped all, we paused all raises and promotions. We also started doing like daily forecasting of revenue and we canceled a lot of the services that we weren't using. So we did a lot of things right away to try to stop the bleeding, although we didn't know how, since we didn't know how long it was going to last. Uh, luckily, it didn't last too long for us, but we still, even though like we got back to normal revenue, probably within you know a few weeks, we were trying to be really conservative since we didn't know still what was ahead. But we did reinstate hiring and raises and bonuses and everything by June 15th, so which was about three months from the lockdown. So, yeah, everything turned out fine, but still a difficult time. That's an impressive turnaround. I was surprised you were able to bounce back so quickly. Yeah, I mean, I think part of it is I think a lot of the SaaS companies did, and especially ones that, you know, a lot of the people were going remote with work. And our product is really, really helps people in remote work. So I think that's part of the reason why that happened. Gotcha. Yeah, definitely. We love Zapier at Procurify as well. We use it a lot. <laughs> so with um, you know, COVID-19, how everything's progressing, what are now your current priorities and strategic goals in this period of time? I guess, as I said, you know, remote work is really big right now. And it looks like, you know, a lot of people are not even going to go back once COVID's over with. So I think we have a huge opportunity with everyone working remotely with our product. So we're just trying to get in the hands of as many people as possible and grow our business. Another piece is I'm also over the people side. So one of our big initiatives is around diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. So we're putting together a a 10-year plan on that. And we have a director of diversity starting next week. And as far as like on the finance side, one of the things we're going to start doing is looking at banks that that are Black-owned banks that we can help start putting some of our investments there instead of some of the bigger banks. Yeah, I love that. That's such a big piece right now especially with um, what's going on in the world. And like, I think that's such an important topic to visit. And that really says a lot about Zapier's company culture as well. Like you care a lot about that. I love that. How many employees do you guys have right now? Just um, out of curiosity. I think we're around 380. That's really amazing. Yeah, having a chief diversity officer where someone to own that function, I feel like it's super important, even though each person in the company might take responsibility for that, but having someone to oversee it. Right. That's awesome. And from my understanding, Zapier has grown quite rapidly over the past few years. How have you had to adapt to that company's skyrocketing growth? Yeah, I think it's like, you know, as you scale, you have to put more processes and policies in place. And the thing is, is like a lot of times what what you have in place right now won't work in six to nine months. So you have to keep on, you know, reevaluating and looking at your process to see what, what makes the most sense. An example of that is when we were traveling 
we used to do retreats twice a year. So we had like everybody would do a reimbursement. So it started out as just an email with your receipts and then it went to Expensify. And now we're using everybody has their own credit card through Divi. Nice. So there's like an evolution. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So adding on to that, I'm just curious, what do you think was the breaking point between reevaluating your processes? What were kind of like the, I guess, red flags when it's like a sign of this is no longer working for us? When your accountants start complaining that that's all they're doing. <laughs> or when share. Yeah, it's kind of like, yeah, when they're just like very frustrated, it's just taking a long, a lot of time is when it's like, okay, this is broken. Yeah, definitely. And with 300 people, that whole credit card and then expensing afterwards probably doesn't work so well anymore. Yeah. So in your opinion, what do you think are the biggest challenges that a tech CFO has to face in the next, let's say, two to three years? I think it's going to be a challenging time. I think it's still uncertain until COVID is under control. I think, you know, it's going to be really hard to plan because it's like you don't really know what's going to happen. And I think you have to be like very flexible and, and able to change direction quickly if needed. You know, I mean, for an example, I mean, if there is a resurgence or if there's long term effects to the economy, I think you're going to have to change your business. Yeah, definitely. And what is your action plan with that? Like if there was um, another black swan event similar to the coronavirus, do you guys have like a team to go after crisis mitigation, risk mitigation moving forward from this? Yeah, that's actually one of the things that we put together after. That was one of our kind of like retros of, of going through all this is like, yes, we need to put the team together to, to start doing this, both figuring out what to do and also communicating to, to the, all the employees. Do you have any tips for that, by the way? Because within a crisis, a lot of times people get very fearful of what might happen. You know, they get stuck in this whole uncertainty phase. So as a CFO, how do you communicate this level of safety to the employees and make sure they're still motivated to keep on working? Yeah, I think the, the main thing is just being totally transparent. I mean, we we started doing weekly calls with all the employees, like showing them exactly where we were at as far as revenue and expenses and cash. So we showed them our plan as to all these things, you know, as, as I mentioned, we were taking away raises and promotions and profit sharing, but then we showed them the plan of how we would bring those back into play as revenue increased. So it's like they knew the plan, they knew where we were at, so there was never anything where they could assume or not know what was going on. Yeah, that's huge. I think honestly, like people get scared when they don't know, but when they know it, now there's an action plan, they can also derive their actions to see how can we make it better for everybody. Mm -hmm. I'm really glad you have that policy. How would you describe, I guess, the spending culture of Zapier? That is, what are the attitudes, beliefs, and processes around spending for the company? Do you mind describing that for us? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think generally we just kind of tell people to, you know, spend it like it's your own money and, you know, give folks guidelines of what something typically costs. You know, as I said, I'm also over the people side. So I believe in any policy or interaction the accounting team has with the company or, you know, with employees, there's a, there's an effect on the culture. So I always tell people it's like every interaction is either a positive or negative effect on the culture. So you need to have a good interaction with your employees. So we try to make like people first policies. So we do like regular surveys to see like what people think of our policies and some of the stuff is changed um, for example, we have some people that want to do co-working spaces and we didn't have that as a budget because it was a very small portion. It's like it didn't seem fair to give that to some people when a lot of other people wouldn't be using it. So what we did is we basically increased our office setup budget so that people could use it for co-working or if they wanted a nice chair or something else. So it's like flexible as to, to how they use their budget. 
I love that. It gives them accountability over it too. Be more aware of it. And out of curiosity, how would people make spending decisions on behalf of Zapier? Would they go through a form? Is there like um, documented processes that they can find in the employee handbook? Actually, there's a couple of ways, depending on what type of thing it is. So if it's like something in the office setup budget, we actually have Zap set up where it's like you go into Slack and you put in what you want and then it creates an air table. And then it's like, then your, uh, your Divi card is loaded with funds for it. So it just kind of depends on what it is. Um, if it's something bigger, if it's like a big, like advertising budget or something larger, it's like, we would definitely like get together as a group and really look at, you know, the cost benefit analysis and decide, you know, does it make sense to move forward? Gotcha. That makes it really easy then. It's already preloaded up and pre-approved. So you're catching it all before it's even spent. Love that. Can you tell me about your time working at MailChimp and how did that experience there prepare you for your role at Zapier? Yeah, I mean, Zapier has very similar growth to what MailChimp had. So it's like a lot of the experience is very similar. It's just everything's turned upside down because of the remote piece of it. But like how you scale and everything's kind of still the same. I'm hiring a lot earlier now than what I did there because it's like, you know, like, okay, I'm going to need a controller soon. So it's like you hire people before you need them. And I think it's just also looking, I think I've taken a lot more time in hiring. At MailChimp, the first few hires were very difficult because we were a startup and nobody knew of us. So I kind of didn't didn't spend as much time looking for people as what I should have. And I think I, I learned that. And so now it's like we are really, um, really take the time to make sure we have the, high, the right people in the right seats. That makes a lot of sense. It sounds like a valuable lesson to learn for sure. And what are your tips for working remotely? And how do you cultivate a strong work environment and ethic when everything is virtual? I think one of the biggest things is making sure there's a deliberate line between your work and your personal space. It's like whether it's an office or an actual just like separation of duties, it's just like making sure that you can walk away is really important. As far as like the connection with people, this is one of the things that's really fascinated me about remote work is I'm closer to my team remotely than I ever was in person. And I think a lot of it has to do with um, everything's really intentional. So it's like I have our one-on-ones with all my directs and you you talk about personal stuff. You see what's going on. It's like last week, my dog threw up behind me during a meeting. You know, it's like the real life's going on. So people are more intimate and more sharing. And it's not like, you know, walking down an executive hallway, coming to my office. It's like people ping me on Slack. It's like, hey, can you jump on a Zoom? So it's, you know, you're much more approachable and it's like, you know, it's just, everyone's just more authentic. So I think that really helps with the trust piece, which is part of allowing people to just go off and do their work and just making sure things get done. I know the big thing with our controller is he uses Asana for the accounting team. So, which is basically a project management tool where he can see at any time what people are working on and what they're doing. Yeah, I think that's super interesting, Jenny, just because like I feel the same way. Now that, you know, when you jump on a call with somebody, you're more aware of what's going on in their life. And because there's more space to have that one-on-one interaction, it's it's quite interesting. You usually take it for granted when you walk by the office and, you know, you say hi really quickly, but it's not like a long conversation. Right. You always think you can go back to them later and ask them about something, but you never do or something else comes up. Exactly. You get sucked into this whole like work in the office atmosphere. Right. Just curious, um, how many people are on the finance team at Zapier? We just hired a, a new accountant started last week. So I think that makes uh, six now. 
six people. That's a good size. I know a lot of companies that are like post-series C and they only have like a few people on the accounting and finance team and they're trying to like really figure out everything, especially with COVID. And also, um, just out of curiosity, when it comes to the spend, um, you mentioned that you had to cut a few things. Where are the parts of spend that you reallocated? Were there any other parts in the company that you have actually doubled down on when it comes to spending? Advertising. We've actually done, uh, we're doing a lot more advertising lately, again, just because of the remote work piece is so popular right now. We're trying to do a lot more advertising. Gotcha. And with remote work with um, Zapier employees, do you also provide like a budget for them to build like a comfortable workstation at home? Yeah. So that's part of the office setup budget, they said. So we give them a budget that's over three years, which includes a computer. And then, you know, they can buy it. Then it's up to them as to whether they want a chair or a desk. They use it for a co-working space, whatever fits with what they need. I actually love that. Um, we actually conducted a survey pretty early on when the virus first hit where we asked controllers and CFOs and companies, do you actually have a budget to help employees work remotely? And not a lot of them do. So I'm really glad that you actually have that because it really adds to the culture. It really helps people lead more productive work lives. So that's really awesome. Yeah, we also provide a $500 a year budget for software expense. So like, you know, someone uses Asana or different types of tools people might use, whether it's, you know, a calendar app or a different timekeeping apps or different, you know, it's like whatever you choose is part of that budget too. That actually leads to the great next question. You know, a lot of teams are moving towards a remote model when it comes to, you know, managing their teams and maybe managing spend, right? Are there any specific tools that you personally really love? I know Zapier is a really great tool for remote work, but is there any other tools that kind of stands out for you? Yeah, as I mentioned earlier, Divi is something that we started using last year and it's just been it's just been awesome because it's like it gives you the flexibility. It gives, you know, the employees the flexibility to buy stuff on their own terms and basically have their own credit card. But we also have the control over their budgets and spend. So it's it's been really easy to use it and it's saved a lot of time and cost and reimbursements. That's awesome. What about on the communication side? You mentioned Asana. Um, were there any other tools that you've used that helped you with um, connecting with your team? We pretty much use Slack for everything. I mean, that's kind of like our office is Slack. And then we have a lot of a lot of things that connect and have, we have integrations with Slack that help us with some of our other things we work on, like I said, like Zaps and stuff. Yeah, that's really awesome. Um, just hopping back into, I guess, your MailChimp days. I'm personally really curious since you were there for essentially the entire evolution of the company since start to finish. What would you say are um, the biggest challenges to balancing, you know, that agility of a startup with also growing at a really rapid pace? And what are the things that you've learned from your time there? Yeah, it's a good question. One of the things that both MailChimp and Zapier have is like um, when you don't have investors, I mean, we have minor investors at Zapier, you're allowed to do much more and you're allowed to experiment. And that's where I think you really have the ability to grow. Like at MailChimp, you know, we had the ability to lower prices if we wanted to uh, or give out a million dollars worth of T-shirts. And that kind of stuff really built the company. But like if you were, if you're owned by a VC or have big investors, they're not going to allow you to do stuff like that. So you really have the ability to experiment and to really do things the way you want when you're basically self-funded. Yeah, I can definitely see that. I know for a lot of um, venture-backed companies during this time, it is quite difficult to do the actions that you believe in as a company versus making your investors happy. There's always that little balance act there. Yeah, and you never have to worry about an exit either. It's like, how do you build a company to be the best it can be versus 
how do you build to exit? Yeah, definitely. Just out of curiosity, how would you advise companies to come up with the right exit strategy for where they're at? Honestly, I don't know because I've never, <laughs> uh, the last, yeah, MailChimp didn't exit and we're not planning on exits. So yeah, I'm not willing to believe in the exit strategy. So I'm not, I don't know. That's fair because some companies, they think about it pretty early on where it's like, do we want to have an extra strategy? Whereas some companies, they keep on going, right? So we, I think we are nearing the end of the interview. So Lauren, I think you want to take the last one there. Yeah. For our last question, we were just wondering, if you had a personal billboard that showcased you as a person, what would it say? I think what I tell my people all the time when they come to me with questions, what, what's the right thing to do? Or, you know, and what, you know, how would you want your customer to treat you? So it's like, you know, doing the right thing. That's awesome. Nice and simple, but, you know, definitely something that people always need to ask themselves, right? The why behind each action is this for the right reasons. Well, thank you so much once again, Jenny. It's really fascinating seeing all your experience throughout, you know, both Zapier and also MailChimp and even with your own consulting firm. So really thank you for your time today. Thank you. This was a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, both of you. (laughs) Thank you, Lauren. It was really great having you as a co-host. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of today. If you like this podcast, please make sure to subscribe so you don't miss another great guest. We'd also appreciate it if you give us a five-star review on iTunes for the Apple listeners out there. This podcast is sponsored by Procurify, a spend management solution that is making managing business spend simple. I know there's still a lot of you that are using spreadsheets, credit cards, and expense forms, or a mix of the above. Perhaps you're still using a procurement module in your ERP that is clunky and outdated. Procurify helps you implement proactive controls so that purchases are tracked and approved by the right person before it hits accounts payable. Never have to worry about a surprise invoice ever again. There's a reason why over 400 customers around the world love us. Our award-winning, easy-to-use system is loved by people everywhere. It's actually a purchasing system that your employees will actually want to use, believe it or not. Check us out at Procurify.com. So that's www.procurify.com and mention the podcast for a sweet listener special on our packages.